The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Hi, Olivia here, and welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. Today, I'm very excited to have as my guest a fellow Coloradoan, Bob Vanarek, and we'll be discussing triple crown leadership. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Bob. He is a thought leader, author, and former CEO of five companies that he took from startup to a value of over a billion dollars on the New York Stock Exchange. His businesses have won numerous awards, including a Malcolm Baldridge Quality Prize and a Shingo Prize for Manufacturing Excellence. He's been named one of the top 100 thought leaders in trustworthy business behavior by Trust Across America in 2013 and 2014. And finally, along with his son, Greg, he wrote Triple Crown Leadership, Building Excellent Ethical and Enduring Organizations, which is a 2013 USA Best Book Awards winner and the topic of discussion for today. So, Bob, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Well, thank you, Olivia, and thank you for that very kind introduction. I wish my parents were still alive to hear that. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> Sometimes the truth? they wondered how their son would turn out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's true for many of us, so that's great. Well, it's my pleasure to have you on. So I'd love to know, why did you and your son Greg decide to write Triple Crown Leadership, and how did you come up with this unusual title? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, like you, we are are both lifelong students of leadership, and frankly, uh, over the years, we got outraged at so many examples of poor leadership on Wall Street and Washington and sports organizations, religious organizations, and it's enough to make you pessimistic. But we're but we're really not not that pessimistic. Um, my son. Greg is very talented. He had previously co-authored two books and teaches entrepreneurship and leadership at the Royal Institute of, of Technology in Stockholm. And we both knew there was a better way, and we wanted to describe it. And we, so, so we decided to write a book, but we then realized nobody knows who Bob and Greg are, so we better go out and talk to some really outstanding organizations. So over a period of several years, Olivia, we interviewed 61 organizations in 11 countries that were handpicked because we felt they were doing something unique. 
organizations like the Mayo Clinic and Google and Zappos.com. And so uh, we wrote and rewrote the manuscript, uh, and we had these kind of three concepts in mind, to be excellent and to act, act ethically and to be sustainable. And in talking with our agent, uh, he actually said, well, have you guys ever thought of the metaphor of the triple crown of thoroughbred horse racing? And frankly, we hadn't, but we bought every book and watched every movie, and we found some wonderful stories that paralleled what we wanted to say and what we learned from our research. So we rewrote our manuscript and entitled it Triple Crown Leadership, Building Excellent, Ethical, and Enduring Organizations, the Triple E, the Triple Crown of Leadership. (laughs) Mm, That's great. And so you encourage leaders to set the overarching goal of building these Excellent, ethical, enduring organizations. Can you give us more detail, kind of break down the three E's, how you see them playing out and and how readers can think about them? Sure. Well, the real essence of the book is to encourage leaders to set the overarching goal of building an excellent, ethical, and enduring organization. It's... uh, it's a quest. It's almost a quest for perfection. But we um, argue that if you're on that quest to build an excellent, ethical, and enduring organization, you're going to raise the performance level of your organization tremendously. You may never be permanently excellent, ethical, and enduring, but it's so worthwhile. Excellent means you have to basically make your numbers in whatever your field of endeavor. You have to achieve outstanding results with impact because we all know what happens, Olivia, if you're a leader and you don't achieve results, you're not going to stay in your position very long. Mm -hmm. But the second part is really critical. It's not just achieving results. We have a lot of bad examples of poor leaders who cut corners uh, to make their numbers, to make their bonus, to keep their job, whatever it may be. It's how you do it. You have to really act ethically because in this world of social media and transparency, if you don't, somebody's going to put it on Twitter or there's going to be a cell phone photo. It's going to blow up on you. So you really have to achieve those results ethically. And then beyond that, we talked about the 30, the concept of enduring. In today's world, you have to think about sustainability, sustainability for our planet because we're consuming resources in Western societies at unsustainable uh, rates, and we have to stop doing that. But we also have to think about internal sustainability. Are we burning people out? Mm. Are we borrowing sales from quarter two to make quarter one, as I have to confess I did when I was a CEO? And I set myself on on an unsustainable treadmill because then at the end of quarter two, what did I have to do? I had to borrow from quarter three to make quarter two, you know. So we were (laughs) engaging in unsustainable financial practices. And there are lots of examples I could give you of those. But as we thought about it, as we did our research, we came to the core conclusion that the new model of leadership requires a leader to commit to the goal of building an excellent, ethical, and enduring organization. So how do you get leaders 
to actually go for something beyond quarterly earnings, or is that possible yet? I know a couple companies are sort of fighting that trend, but I just I think that's a real big challenge, especially with this the same time the goal of of having a long-term sustainable business and doing the right thing for, say, your employees and the planet. Do you see that as a challenge? Well, of course it's a challenge. There's a tremendous amount of of pressure on CEOs to make the quarterly numbers. I know I had that knot in the pit of my stomach when the quarterly conference call was coming up and hundreds of investors and my board members and employees would be on the call and I've got to explain why we missed our earnings by a penny and the stock gets hammered and the phone calls start coming in. (laughs) Wow. Uh, I mean, you know, that's the reality. Uh, I mean, there was a huge knot in my stomach because I knew we were going to be asked all those questions. But you really have to think about what are you trying to do. I mean, is the purpose of an organization to maximize shareholder value? Nobody gets out of bed in the morning to go to work to maximize shareholder value. <laughs> I mean, I stood in front of many employees' groups and talks about what's, what's our purpose, what's our mission, why do we exist? I talk to customers, I talk to shareholders. So you really have to think through why, why are you in business? And we talk about that in one of the practices of Triple Crown Leadership. What's the purpose of your organization? And then you have to really make sure that the board understands that. Tomorrow I'm doing a a panel uh, in Denver for the National Association of Corporate Directors, and one of my prime uh, points is going to be that boards have to increasingly understand that they have to put on their agenda the long-term culture of the organization, the Triple Crown Quest. How do we achieve our numbers ethically and enduringly? And, and so the board has to embrace that, and more and more boards are doing that, but it is going to take some time. You got to stop uh, forecasting quarterly earnings as Google does, as as Amazon does. I mean, that's not the the job of the CEO to forecast for the market what might happen ninety days from now. You say this is what we're trying to do. This is our strategy, and you need to convince the street. And there are enough investors out there who want that kind of long term investment. Not the day traders; they're here today and gone tomorrow. But there's a large enough investor group that say. And a company we want to invest in. That's why Google stock or Amazon stock or, you know, dozens of other companies that are doing this are doing well. Oh, that's very encouraging. Wow. That's great. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> well, you think so. Yeah. I mean, I did hear Unilever was had stopped giving quarterly reports. Exactly. They're another great example. Sure. Yeah. It's a growing list, Olivia. And they're out, outperforming their competitors. So, I mean, that's all we need, right, is for it to prove out to be a better investment long-term. And then I think we've won that battle. But Exactly. In the research appendix to our book, we look at the companies that are following this triple crown quest. We look at their financial performance. We look at their ethical scorecard. We look at their sustainability scorecard. So this is not just pie in the sky. This is, this is research-based um, stuff that we're writing about in Triple Crown Leadership, built on all the interviews and, frankly, decades of Greg's experience and my scars of doing things the wrong way. <laughs> But boy, what a great wealth of knowledge to to write from and and expand from. So, 
in your book, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, you have these five triple crown leadership practices that came out of your research and experiences. Can you share these practices, maybe give some examples of organizations? You mentioned a few, but how they're using them and how our listeners could perhaps try to implement them. Well, sure. We can go three or four hours here, can't we? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll do another show if we run out of time. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Sure, promise. I'll try to give you just a brief uh, brief uh, overview of the five practices. And we use the metaphor from horse racing. And the first practice is called head and heart. And what we discovered in our research, and it echoes our own experience, is that most organizations recruit and promote and develop people on insufficient criteria. They look only or primarily at the head characteristics. And the head stuff is important. That's your resume, your background, your education, your experience, and things like that. But the really great organizations, the Triple Crown Leadership organizations, look beyond head. That's the minimum bar to get hired at Google, for example. They're looking for character. They're looking for your emotional intelligence. They're looking for what they call cultural fit. And at Google, it's called Googliness. <laughs> you know, oh. are, you, are you Googly? <laughs> do you ah. understand what we're trying to do? We're trying to make the world a better place. You know, we want you here not just because you're a great software engineer, but you have a passion to change the world, and you're on fire about that, and you understand the core values of our company. Those are the kinds of people. They can pick and choose uh, software engineers from Stanford and MIT and Caltech. They're looking for the heart characteristics, and we heard that over and over again. So head and heart is the first practice. Colors is what we call the second practice. In a race, it's the colors that the jockey and the horse wears so you can identify them in the scrum of the race. And there are three parts to the colors. What is the purpose of our organization? As I mentioned before, is it to maximize shareholder value? Oh, great. We'll get a lot of young millennials joining us for that, they're really turned on by that, right? <laughs> I don't think no. so. No. What, are, what are our shared values? How do they fit with your personal values? Because we are going to run this enterprise by these core values. The core values are how we behave, how we do things here. It sets the culture of the organization. So going back to head and heart, we're looking for cultural fit. So you have to define your shared values. And then what's your vision? And is this something that's inspiring that grabs people at the heart level? And these things, purpose, values, and vision, are not just written by the CEO every four or five years and then when he or she moves on as a new set. These are collaboratively developed by the people in the organization from the board on down. Maybe the founder sets them originally, but over time, there's a buy-in from the stakeholders. This is... This is these are the colors of our organization, our purpose, our values, and our vision. Mm-hmm. So the third practice is what we call steel and velvet. Most of us have a personality profile. You, like me, have probably taken the Myers-Briggs test numerous times in your life. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, you're an extrovert or an introvert or you know, you're a judger or you're a touchy-feely kind of person. Well, steel... 
is it is the steel bit or the iron bit in the mouth of the horse that the jockey uses to to guide the horse. Velvet is the soft touch, the stroke, the soft blanket, the soft whispering in the horse's ear. And what we discovered was that we all have a tendency toward one edge or the other, more steel or more velvet. But leaders in these triple crown organizations have the capability to flex between steel at certain times and velvet at other times, depending on the situation and the people. If it's a crisis, we're going to be a little more steel. We're going to exert Mm -hmm. our power, our position, our authority, our title, and say, gang, I love y'all, but you know what? Y'all want to go north? We're going south, and here's why. You know, and if you're not willing to exercise the authority of steel in your position, you're probably not going to be a very good leader. But if you're steel all the time, Olivia, what are people going to do? They're going to shut down, wait for you to talk. They're not going to open up. So most of the time, you have to be at velvet. You have to shut your mouth. You have to listen. You have to let other people lead. You have to encourage other people to take chances. Uh, Penny Chenery, who was the owner of Secretariat, was a great example of that. When her father became ill, she went back east to run the farm. She was a housewife right here in Denver. She lives in Boulder, up by you right now. Uh, Uh, And she didn't know anything about horse racing, but she learned. She discovered the trainer that her father had was cheating her father, so she fired him. She cut down the number of horses, making a lot of tough steel decisions. She had tremendous pressure from her family to sell the farm. She incurred $6 million of debt and uh, uh, franchised uh, the breeding rights to Secretariat. Uh, and, 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 and so she made some really tough steel decisions. But she was such a wonderful, generous lady. She was so kind to people. People loved her. She became the first lady of thoroughbred horse racing. She had the ability to flex between mm-hmm. steel and velvet, depending well, on the situation that's... and the people. That's so powerful, and we're, we are up in a break, but I, I wanted to share because the one sport I really excelled at when I was young was horseback riding, oh. and, and I, I learned from this guy who was an old rodeo man. He was like a horse whisperer, and he taught me to break horses in a very gentle way. He said, you never scare them, and he always used the mildest bit, you know, the snaffle bit. And I learned so much. I learned basically how I then parented my kids was a very gentle approach. And I also learned to manage my temper because my horse was really spirited. And if I yanked on her mouth, I had an I had to then tire her out to get her to behave. So I learned <laughs> I learned to not react quickly when I was upset. And um, you were using such, steel and velvet. <laughs> I was yes, and I really get that. Uh, what a great analogy. So I'm seeing now how it weaves in with all the the work with horses. It's beautiful. So as I mentioned, we're up on a break. I want to just reintroduce my guest is, is um, Bob Van- Vanarek. And we're talking about Triple Crown Leadership. And you can read more about Bob's work at triplecrownleadership.com. And we'll be right back.
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on today's top HR trends. Learn how you can become the savvy HR innovator who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the future of work. HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm back with my guest, Bob Banerak, and we're talking about triple crown leadership. And before the break, Bob kind of shared the introduction to how he came up with the name for the book and the relationship to the triple crown horse race. And then we started talking about the five practices and we got up to the third one, so we mentioned head and heart and how we have to be able to have not just a good intellect but a good heart. Um, the three colors is practice number two, which are purpose, vision, and values. And then right before the break, we were talking about steel and velvet and how one has to be, as a leader, has to be able to be tough at times, but most of the time lead from a place of, I would say, maybe not soft, you could use the word softness, but but certainly more inspirational than authoritative. And um, and the example, the great example of the, the woman that took over the caring of Secretariat and how, how she survived using being tough sometimes and then also being really kind to people and becoming the, the first lady of thoroughbred horse racing. So... Um, can you then, I guess we'll just go on to the fourth practice um, in your triple crown. Sure. Leadership. Well, yeah. you're a quick study on these. I like that summary that you just did there, Olivia, so thank <laughs> you. Head and heart, the colors, steel and velvet. The fourth practice is what we call uh, stewards. 
and the stewards in a race are the race officials that make sure everything uh, is going on okay, uh, that there are no you know violations, there's no uh, uh, substance abuse or use of steroids with the horses, and there are no fouls and, you know during the race and things like that. So, in, in stewards, we talk about uh, two things. One is that great leadership is a group performance, not a solo act. I I mean, the days of the imperial CEO really are over. You can't really say that one person at the top has all the answers and everybody else is just there saying, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, what do you want us to do? Our world is too complex. There are times you have to uh, lead, and there are times you have to uh, encourage other people to lead, even within the hierarchy. I know you're uh, an expert on holacracy, and that's a very parallel kind of process that 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 uses a new, uh, very exciting uh, structural form or lack of structural form to <laughs> unleash those other leaders. And so it's very compatible with the concept of stewards, that leadership is a group performance, not a solo act, even within the hierarchy. So there are times as the CEO, uh, I had to be in velvet mode. Mike Critelli, the former CEO of Pitney Bowes, said, uh, I had to bite my tongue. I, I knew how to do it. I knew how to do it better. I knew how to do it faster. But my job was to unleash other leaders to do that. Mm-hmm. And so the success of an organization is not going to be determined by the greatness of the person at the top so much as how many other leaders you unleash in the organization. And mm-hmm. so that goes back to hiring for head and heart, articulating those colors, the purpose, values, and vision that connect with people's heart, and flexing at times between steel and velvet. If it's a crisis, you got to step up and say, okay, I'm the CEO. This is, this is what we're going to do. But most of the time, you have to unleash those other leaders. So that's the first element of the, of the chapter on stewards. And and the key is really the next part, and that is that everybody in the organization, Olivia, has two jobs. They have their regular job in IT or marketing or finance, but they are also a steward for the culture of the organization. They have, and let me pause on this phrase, an irrevocable license to lead by the values. Mm an irrevocable license to lead by the values. The world is changing so fast. You can't write all the policies or governance guidelines or procedures. You have to empower people to do what the purpose, values, and vision, the colors tell you. You give them an irrevocable license to lead by the values. I don't think we put this story in the book, but we heard it when we were doing our interview with Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos.com. And they, of course, started uh, selling shoes online 12 or 14 years ago. And uh, they had this, I mean, it's a great idea. It's the you know, next big thing, selling shoes online, right? <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not, very, not very exciting. But they decided <laughs> that they would have extraordinary customer service. Wow, customer service. 
and they hire for head and heart. They have their colors. They have their steel and velvet. And we're, we're now talking about these terms. They talk about them in different terms. But they, they get 100 people for every job. They screen people. They, they put them through a great indoctrination on the values uh, of Zappos.com and how can they deliver customer service. So, so, so the story that we didn't put in the book was that a woman uh, ordered some shoes from Zappos and loved them, loved the customer service. And she was traveling to Las Vegas, their headquarters, and forgot to pack her shoes. And so knowing their customer service, she called up Zappos and said, oh, I forgot to pack my shoes. You've got to send me another one. And the clerk looked, looked on the computer and said, oh, ma'am, I'm sorry, we're out of stock. But where are you staying? And she said, some hotel. I don't know what it was, the Bellagio or something like that. And the clerk on the phone, making 12 bucks an hour, said, ma'am, I'll get back to you. He got up. He left the office. Didn't ask his boss for permission because you're empowered to do whatever it takes at Zappos to deliver extraordinary service. And he walked the malls in Vegas until he found her shoes and her style, color, size, had them gift-wrapped, personally delivered them to her hotel, no charge, because Zappos was out of stock. Wow. She told about a thousand of her friends who told a thousand of their friends, and Zappos uh, grows selling shoes and other things online to a billion dollars in sales volume in 10 years and gets acquired by Amazon, Jeff Bezos, who promises them that they will remain autonomous because Amazon can learn customer service from Zappos. (laughs) Yes, and Zappos just took on Holacracy. And you talk about that individual making the decision. That's part of the holacracy process is that, you know, they have exactly. that autonomy exactly. to make decisions up to a point, which is really, that's such a great story. Wow. So, so that telephone clerk, he was a leader. And he yeah. had an irrevocable license to lead by the values of Zappos and the culture of Zappos. That's what stewards are. That's the fourth practice. Does that make sense? It does. And I do remember my world comes from the world of big data and data analysis. And I remember Thornton May, the head of the IT Academy, saying, like a lot of uh, leaders are trying to understand analytics. And he says, it's not that our leaders have to understand analytics, but our analysts have to start to think like leaders. And I just <laughs> I just finished a book for SAS, and I had notes at the end of each chapter saying, nobody's going to understand what you've done, so you have to think like a leader and guide them because they could make million-dollar mistakes if they don't understand what they're getting. <laughs> so. Well, that's the message of your wonderful book, Business Intelligence Success Factors, which I've just finished reading, and it talks about exactly that. So I encourage your <laughs> listeners to hurry up and get a copy of Business Intelligence Success Factors. <laughs> well, thank you for that plug. I forget to mention it, but thank you. Yeah, it's true. All it's, right, and now you really want to know what the up. fifth practice is, huh? Yes. <laughs> the fifth practice that we outline and came out of our research and our experience is something we call alignment. And we interviewed Ron Turcott, the jockey who rode Secretariat uh, in the in, in the Triple Crown victories in 1973, and he talks about a state of flow that he and Secretariat got into uh, when they were racing. And it's when your organization is totally aligned uh, 
there's so much good work written about getting into flow, and most organizations think it comes just in sports, but I've experienced it in the business world. Mm-hmm. I've experienced it, and we've created it in the organizations that I've been honored to uh, to uh, lead. And it comes through a process that we call alignment. Um, it's 10 steps. It's described in Chapter 6 of the book. We've already talked about what are the first uh, what the, the, the first three steps. What's the purpose of the organization? What are the values? What's the vision? Then it comes down to step... I'm going to go through these quickly. The okay. goals of the organization. What's the strategy of the organization? What is the... Uh, who, who are the people we're going to hire? And that goes back to the head and heart. What's the structure... What kind of organizational structure? Is it going to be hierarchical? Is it going to be holacracy, whatever? Then it comes to the processes, because you need to have some processes. Then it comes to action plans, who will do what by when. And then it comes down to the communication loops, because the world's going to change on you pretty quickly. So how often do you meet? What metrics do you look at? And how do you bake all this stuff into the personnel evaluations of the company? Who gets promoted? Who gets fired? So those are the 10 steps. Purpose, values, vision, goals, strategy, people, structure, processes, action plans, communication loops. Now, what I just described, 10 steps for how to align an organization, I have done this over and over again. We took the defect rate at Pitney Bowes from 20% a year to 2% a year and won the Malcolm Baldrige Award in the state of Connecticut using some of these practices. We took a negative cash flow at Sensormatic when I was CEO there at the worst from $100 million negative to within uh, three and a half years positive $100 million cash flow positive using these principles of alignment. In our research, we talked to a $100 million software company called Quovotics. They had their own alignment uh, process. They called it Vogi, uh, Vision, Objectives, Goals, Initiatives. It was put on the company intranet. Everybody in the company could see everybody else's vision, objectives, goals, and initiatives. It became electric. People were talking about, how are you doing on your Vogi? What's happening? Can I help you on your Vogi? The organization wow. became aligned and went from losing money and all these ethical uh, transgressions to being very, very profitable. We talked to Cisco. Can I ask had, you? Sure, sure, go ahead. About, I can just um, get carried away, so interrupt yeah, me. Yeah, and, and I do want to hear about Cisco for sure, um, but the one you just mentioned, Govatis, um, did they, how did they, did they have ways of compensating for people who actually worked together and collaborated as opposed to individual um, acknowledgements, do you know? Oh, yes. Um, they, like, like Tyco, um, they, they, they had performance evaluations that were based on making your numbers. That's the excellent side of things. We've got to get, we've got to make our numbers. We have to have impact, okay? But then they had compensation for how well you collaborate. Are you living by the shared values? Zappos does that. Tyco, and the turnaround of Tyco after Kozlowski went to jail. We interviewed Jack Kroll and Ed Breen, the new outside lead director and CEO. And so they bake into 
their performance appraisal system into their talent into their talent development pool who gets promoted are you achieving numbers and are you doing it collaboratively are you working with your vogie or your alignment steps are you living by the shared values and so they bake it in you absolutely have to do that yes okay thanks Cisco had their version of it too uh, it was called VSE, a vision, strategy, and execution. And uh, we talked to one of the senior officers there, and she said, John Chambers, the CEO there, was, was always talking about um, the, you know, the values and the vision and the VSE goals. So, so she said she was the deputy general counsel, Lynn Easterling was her name. And she mm-hmm. said, I've got my boss's VSE right up here on my bulletin board, and I write mm-hmm. my VSE to fit with his. And he writes his VSE to fit with John Chambers' VSE. And so the organization, through all its boards and councils and the various uh, teams that they formed uh, for short-term projects and long-term projects, became aligned through a certain process. So we describe a 10-step process. They had, they had fewer steps. Um, Quovatics had, had their vogie. But the concept of aligning your organization collaboratively in this way is the fifth, and I think, the most powerful practice of Triple Crown leadership. Hmm. Do you see any difference by industry and in how easy it is? Some, some of the industries have been around for a long time or... Um, you know, manufacturing ha- has always done things one way. Do you see some, I mean, not the, it seems like the high-tech companies can do this more easily, um, but do you Olivia, see variation I by industry? I think the principles, the practices that I'm describing here are as close to universal as you can get. We interviewed 61 organizations in 11 countries. We interviewed huge for-profit corporations, we interviewed military organizations, city governments, school districts, many, many non-profits, uh, small startup companies, turnarounds, universities, uh, school districts. Uh, these are the practices that emerged, regardless of whether you were in China or India or Japan or Brazil or Canada, whether you were a millennial or a boomer. I'm talking about universal practices. Well, that's great. Well, believe it or not, we're up on our second break. This is just going so fast. I'm having so much fun. Um, So let me just reintroduce. My guest is Bob Vanerick, and we're talking about Triple Crown Leadership. Please check out his book and his website, triplecrownleadership.com, and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the unique job search community of Lynn Radice Live. You do have the power to land the perfect job. If you are unemployed or underemployed or looking for your next career move, tune in to Lynn Radice Live. Get a job, no excuses. This is a first-of-its-kind job empowerment show. Lynn will identify the most critical needs in today's job market and show you how you can get a top position today. Get ready. Let's get hired. Lynn Radice Live airs live every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. 
with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Inside Healthcare is the only radio program focused solely on the healthcare industry. We bring together new and experienced entrepreneurs and industry veterans from throughout the country who are changing the dynamic on how healthcare is delivered today. Join us as we ask the tough questions, explore current topics, and discuss the new partners and models in healthcare that successfully address the needs of population health across the country. Listen Mondays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm with Bob Vanerek. We're talking about Triple Crown Leadership. And before the break, we, we kind of, finished summarizing the five practices and got into the 10 steps of alignment. And I'd really like to now talk about, you mentioned earlier, there's so many devastating economic failures that could be attributed to failed leadership in the recent years. And so I was wondering if you could share a couple things. One is the companies you've turned around and maybe what, what did you see as the most common reason why they weren't doing well and what did you do? What was the main thing you did to turn them around? And also why you're optimistic given the forecast of the way things are going um, even in business and on the planet. So maybe that's sort of two questions, but take your pick. <laughs> well, well, there are two questions there. Well, I was involved in many turnarounds in my career. And as a matter of fact, in our book, Triple Crown Leadership in part two, we have several chapters that, that I'd like to mention. One is breakdowns. Why do organizations break down? Uh, one is on turnarounds, and we talk about several uh, turnarounds there. There's a chapter on startups. How do these five practices apply to startups? Mm. And there's a chapter on social impact. How do they apply in the nonprofit world? So having been through a lot of turnarounds and seen breakdowns, uh, and Greg now teaching entrepreneurship and startups and things like that over at the Royal Institute in Sweden, and with you know, both of us working in a lot of nonprofits o- over the years, we were able to take these five practices and apply them to breakdowns, turnarounds, startups, and social impact organizations. Why do organizations break down? Well, ultimately, it's a, it, it's a failure in leadership. Mm-hmm. It all comes back to leadership. Ken Blanchard says, it's the leader, it's the leader, it's the leader. <laughs> President, President Reagan said, in the end, it all comes down to leadership. I mean, if you break down an organization, and you can read our breakdowns, 
chapter there and see some of the examples that we talk about, it ultimately comes down to failures of leadership. And, and so that's why we're so passionate about building an excellent, ethical, and enduring organization. Um, well, a couple of the organizations... Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so if you have worked with a few... Have you ever had an experience where you came in, you had to get rid of the leader, but you also maybe had to get rid of half the employees or a large number because of them not having the head and the heart part or... Do you know what I mean? Like, is it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I, I did have to downsize one organization, Recognition Equipment in Dallas, Texas, who was accused of ethical malfeasance. And my partner and I came in there and spent six years turning that organization around. We downsized that organization 40%. But mm-hmm. that was not because the employees were bad. In most cases, the employees who get downsized are the victims of the top management who have failed to lead, who have been unethical. I ran another company, um, a large New York Stock Exchange company, um, and uh, within the first 90 days, I, I terminated half of the officer corps. Mm. There was only yeah. one officer, the general counsel, who stayed in the same job. Half the officer corps left. The other half got promoted into new, new and different positions because they were involved in uh, prior all kinds of ethical uh, malfeasance, and uh, and we had to rebuild the company um, as an ethical company. So normally, the employees who get downsized are are just the victims of poor leadership at the top. I see. Yeah, because I think my experience is the leader may be poor, and you replace that person. But if the senior management team is all head and no heart, I think there would work would need to be done. Either they could get coaching or training or, um, or maybe they can't do it and then they'd have to be replaced. So I see that as a challenge in a lot of companies that I've Absolutely. worked with. Yeah, so you asked uh, why I was still optimistic in spite of all yeah. these... <laughs> All these terrible uh, uh, experiences that I've been through and what we read about in the media. Yes, I am optimistic. Um, I think we're living in a different age today, Olivia. It's the age of transparency through social media. Um, A cell phone photograph now can just go viral around the world. Twitter can just out things now that previous leadership, especially in companies, could keep secret in private. Mm. And so the world is changing that way. You're not going to be able to keep these terrible leadership practices and and these bad decisions private. This is the age of WikiLeaks. This is the Mm. age of stuff going, going viral. Also, I do a lot of work um, with MBA students and college students and even high school students. And I tell you, the younger people today are much more conscious of these ethical issues and these sustainability issues. They're Mm -hmm. concerned about a green planet. They're concerned about uh, resource usage. They're concerned about fairness to um, different cultures and races and, uh, you know, indigenous people. They're concerned about these things. When I was growing up, those weren't on our radar screen. Those weren't. Yeah, 
we didn't even really know about them. So I think you're right. Just the connectivity that we have, the way things, it's, and every guest I've ever had that talked about the generation say that the millennials and the Gen Yers are much more interested in patronizing companies that, that have sustainable practices. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I also think that we need and we are getting regulations that look our that, that you know look at our occupational uh, safety and health practices that look at our environment. Sometimes they go too far. Uh, sometimes they're the swing of them that goes you know way beyond where it should. But um, while we need, I would say we need a certain amount of regulations. They are never going to fix this problem. They're, they are not going to fix human behavior, okay? You can't change human nature. There will always be some greedy people, some unethical people, but you can influence human behavior. You can't change human nature, but you can influence human behavior. And that's the kind of work I do on a new kind of leadership model. That's the kind of work that you do. That's the kind of work holacracy does, okay? Furthermore, we've got a lot more rating systems now that are looking more intelligently at corporate performance. It's not just, did you make your quarterly numbers? Now we've got the world's most ethical. We've got the world's most trusted. We've got the world's most admired. We've got the world's most sustainable. You're not going to be able to get away from these measurements and these rating systems that say, yeah, you're making your numbers, but you're polluting, and you've got more mm-hmm. lawsuits, and you've lost your brand reputation, and nobody admires you anymore. People are waking up to that kind of thing. Yeah. I, think, I think new models of market capitalism are emerging. It's mm-hmm. not just about maximizing shareholder value. That was a myth, as Lynn Stout said in her wonderful book, The Myth of Shareholder Value. Milton Friedman was, was misquoted and, and, and off-base, just like Adam Smith has been misquoted and off-base. New models of market-based capitalism are emerging that recognize a multi-stakeholder responsibility. You have to really create value for your customers, your employees, your vendors, the community, and your shareholders. You know, and it's not just about making making the numbers. And as a result, boards of directors are going to change, as I talked about before. And I think new models of leadership are emerging. You know, whether you call it authentic leadership or triple crown leadership or um, um, what was Jim Collins, good to great. you know, the level five leader or transformational leadership, new models of leadership are emerging that didn't exist back when I was going to the Harvard Business School. Um, so that's why I'm optimistic. I think all of these things, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen quickly. It may take a generation. It may not happen in my lifetime. But if I've contributed a little bit to a better leadership model, then I will die a happy camper, Olivia. <laughs> well, that's kind of the way I feel too. So what a great um, thinking. Yeah. Well, so you've seen a lot of companies. You've interviewed a lot of great companies. Do you have an example maybe of the one that seemed to make the most change in a positive direction perhaps? Well, we have a chapter in the book called Snapshots. And um, it really is interesting because we, we point to three companies that we think are doing a great job on this quest. 
keep in mind the quest is a quest for perfection, and so nobody is perfect. But we point to three companies, Infosys in India, KIPP, a charter school company uh, back on the East Coast, and Google. Uh, and uh, while none of them are perfect, all of them uh, have examples in their wonderful history and their wonderful accomplishments of the five practices of head and heart, colors, steel and velvet, stewards, and alignment. Emphasis started in 1981 with $250 in seed capital, and it set as its goal to be the most respected company in India. Uh, fast forward now, they're a, a multi-billion dollar juggernaut uh, in the IT industry, have won all kinds of awards, not perfect, but um, are really on this quest to be excellent, ethical, and enduring. Kip, the... Uh, Knowledge is Power program takes kids from from the ghetto whose parents are in prison or drug dealers or whatever uh, who would normally be forgotten in society and puts them into school and does absolutely amazing things for them, gets them into college, literally changes their life. Um, another example. And then Google, of course, started in a college dorm at Stanford and became one of the world's fastest growing, most, most successful companies, making the most ethical, most sustainable, most innovative, uh, best list for multiple years running. Three snapshots, Google, Emphasis, and Kip, uh, are companies that are on the triple crown quest to be excellent, ethical, and enduring. Wow, that's great. Well, we've got about two minutes left. I think I'm so inspired that a company could start with $250 and set a goal of being the most respected company and then end up just being so successful. I I find that really... Um, it, that does give me optimistic. <laughs> you know, that's a country that is rife with corruption. And they were approached so many times to pay bribes and to uh, reprice their invoices so they could import or export various products at lower duty rates. They absolutely refused to do it. And one story we heard that after a while, um, the government officials stopped coming to them for bribes. And they said, well, you know, you used to come and ask us for this, and now you don't do that. Oh, we know you don't pay bribes anymore, so we don't even bother to ask. And, and mm. at the same time, customers were coming to them saying, I could move my IT business, my outsourcing of the IT to a lot of companies. I'm moving it to you because of your ethical practices. Boy, that's all we that's, need is a few more companies doing that, and I think exactly. we have achieved our goal. Well, Bob, it's been a pleasure. I want to just remind everybody to get your book, Triple Crown Leadership. It's just so great. And go to your website, triplecrownleadership.com. Thank you so much for being my guest today, and I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Well, you're kind to, uh, to host me today. I'd be delighted. Thank you for the wonderful work that you do, Olivia. Thank you. So next week, my guest will be Mastin Kip of The Daily Love, and we'll be discussing his new book, The Daily Love, and the role of emotions in leadership, something we kind of touched on today. So you won't want to miss this, and for a full description of next week's show and other upcoming shows, as well as access to all past shows and guest bios, please visit www.quantumbusinessinsights.com. 
I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights, and have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.